my topic that I was going to speak about for the closer schmooze was something that was entirely different. I was working on it uh, the entire week, and it was quite good, I think. But the events of yesterday, the historic, very sad, tragic, dangerous events of the storming of the Capitol made me want to scrap the existing closure schmooze and focus entirely on the Inyana Diyayma, the current events. And I feel that it's important sometimes to discuss perhaps a, a Torah vantage point of what's going on in the world because the Torah always has what to say on everything. And regardless of what the political pundits uh, say and think, it's really important for Bnei Torah to understand it through the lens of the Hashkafas HaTorah. And I'm not saying that I have that unique vantage point, please don't misunderstand me, but I, I want to just share with you a few thoughts that I had and marshal a few riots and a few stories and a few testimonies of G'dayli Yisrael in similar circumstances and see where we come out from all of that and how perhaps we can see things in a, in a light that's a, a teradika light. So we start with the parsha because the parsha always speaks to us. Every week, it's not because the rabbi wants to make a drasha so he finds a way to twist the parsha into the current events, but it's because of the parsha that the current events occur in that week. And if you examine this week's parsha, parsha Shemais, it's a contrast of leadership. And of course, it's even strange to equate or to put these two people in the same sentence, but you have to examine the foil characters, the differences between a Moshe as he emerges as the leader versus the antithesis of Moshe and that's Pari. Let's describe the greatness of Meshra Avenu and how he became a leader and what his hashkafa was throughout his great role as the Manig Yisrael, as the Meshian Shal Yisrael. So we find in the earliest point of his birth, Vaterai Sekitaiv. He was good. And Chazal tell us that when he was born, the entire house, the entire house was illuminated. And then he grew up in the house of Parai. Meshe. Meshe Rabbeinu became more mature. He went out to the field, he went out to examine what was going on with his Jewish brethren. 
and he saw their oppression, he saw the suffering that Klai Yisrael was enduring in the Shibit of Mitzrayim. Rashi says on these words, Nosan that Meshe Rabbeinu already from his youth understood that he had to empathize with their plight. He had to sympathize with them. He had to become one with them. He could have very easily stayed in the bubble of the palace of Egypt, of Parai, where he no doubt would have been very safe and secure. But he couldn't stand seeing wrong. And he went out and he actually helped them in their labor, in their slavery. He was reluctant to be a leader when HaKadosh Baruch Hu asked him or told him that he should be the leader by the snat. He very much did not want to. That wasn't who he was. He was not somebody that pushed himself to the front. He did not feel that he was a natural leader. And he, his anivas drove him and compelled him to refuse at first that leadership. But of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu prevailed upon him that he should be the leader. And he became a leader and a great one. But at the same time, he was always an anav. The same posture that he had as a child. And when he went out to the fields and his godless showed by his ability to share in the plight of Klal Yisrael and the ability to always see himself not as a greater person than the rest of Klal Yisrael, but as a humbler person. To see himself as an Eved Labde Hashem, as the Matzev of Rebbe read, he didn't see himself as a, a manig Yisrael. He saw himself as an Eved Labde Hashem, as a public servant, as somebody who wanted to serve Klal Yisrael and serve the Rabbi Nishalem and do HaKadosh Baruch Hu's bidding, but always remembering who he was, where he came from, and that he was here to serve the Klal. In doing so, he was following, really, the Rabbeinu Shleilam. There's a Gemara in Megillah, and it's said on the uh, Matzai Shabbos, it's one of those kapitlach that are said in V'yitein Lacha, Amar Rabbi Yechanan, Kal Mokayim Sh'atam Meitzeg, Du Lasei Sh'lakadosh Baruch Hu, Sh'amatam Whenever you find the greatness of the Rabbeinu Shleilam, whenever a Pasuk describes how great HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, immediately you'll find a description of his Anivas, how humble he is. Why is that? The reason is because greatness and humility go hand in hand. It's not just, wow, it's, he's able to be great and humble at the same time. But the mark of greatness is really humility. What makes somebody really great is not that he does phenomenal things, but that he's a good person. 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu's greatness is the fact that he was so humble, and he is so humble, that that makes the godless of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And by extension, every single person that's a Gadol Yisrael, it has to go hand in hand with Anivas. Those are two things that are, are joined as one, at least from a Torah perspective. Godless and Anivas are the same. If there's somebody that's a Balgaiva and he feels he's great and he's amazing, then that's not greatness. That's Gaiva. That's Yuara. It might be even borderline Rishas, but it's not greatness. That's not how we perceive greatness. Maybe the historians of the world see somebody as great just merely by their political or economical accomplishments. But Klai Yisrael defines greatness by their goodness. Meshra Abenu was called Meshra. Who named him Meshra? Basya Bas Pare. The daughter of Pare, when she reached out and pulled him in miraculously when he was in the basket in the Ya'ar, Basya Bas Pare called him Meshra, because he was pulled in from the water. And it's interesting that Meshra Rabbeinu, the Manik Shal Yisrael, he took the name that was given to him by Baspara, an Egyptian princess, giving him an Egyptian name. It's a bit ironic because one of the reasons why Klai Yisrael was Nigalo is because Shalashinu Es Shemam. But yet for some reason this was such a compelling name that it stuck. Meshra Rabbeinu had other names. Chazal say there were seven other names that Meshra Rabbeinu had. Maybe there are other Chazal that say there were more. But the one name that really stands out is Meshra. The Sepharna says that the diktuk of the name Meshra is really off. Because if it really meant the way I just translated it, that he was drawn out himself from the Ar. His name should have really been Mashui. Mashui is a, a passive version of being drawn. He himself was drawn out of the sea. Moshe is an active action of drawing out. And the Sepharna says that the reason is that when Basibas Power was giving him that name, she was almost having like a little bit of Ruach HaKadosh. And she was saying, I'm not naming you, Moshe, because of the fact that you were passively just now taken out, rescued from the sea. But I'm defining your mission in life, and that's to take other people out. When they're in distress, when they're in turmoil, you have to go and extend your hand, your arm, and rescue them. This was the defining role of Meshur Rabbeinu, and of course he accomplished that with his life. He did great things. From his earliest time when he saved the Yid from the hands of the Egyptian person that was, that was hurting him and that was beating him up, he went and he risked his personal life in order to save another Jew. 
And then he saved Klai Yisrael. As a shliach of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he took us out of Egypt. He brought us through the Midbar, Abraham Shana, through all of the turmoil and all the strife with the Erevah, with the Messianim, with the dangers of Amalek and everyone that tried to destroy us. Meshach Rabbeinu, not Mashoi, Moshe, he went and did great things. He rescued Klai Yisrael heroically. He was a great leader. He was. But yet his name also, his first name, the name that the Torah sort of is Merames to give him is Taiv. That Torah Isaki Taivu. It was clearly abundant as soon as he was born that he was Taiv. He was good. That was one of the names of Meshra Rabbeinu as well, Chazal tell us. So contrast these two names. You have Meshra, which represents the great salvation, the Meshian Shal Yisrael, the great things that Meshra Rabbeinu did with his life, historic events that all transpired through the hands of Meshra Rabbeinu as, as the Evan Neman of Hashem. But to the core... What defined Meshach Rabbeinu was that he was taif. He wasn't just great, he was good. He was good. He was a good person. He empathized with the plight of people. He cared about every individual yid. He stepped to the plate to save Klai Yisrael in great ways, but also in good ways. He was anivastic. He was humble. He didn't look at a, another year to, uh, down. I'm your leader. He looked up at every year. There's a great vart. I don't remember who said it. But it says, He was the most humble of men. More than any other person on the face of the earth. That's the simple way of teaching it. But another way of touching it is, How is Maish Rabbeinu so anivistic? How is it possible for a human being who is the Aden Hanavim, who is the Mashiach Shal Yisrael, Shakar and he was Makabal the Taira, he was up on Har Sinai? How is it possible for such a person that's so great to be so humble? He was certainly aware of all of his godless. He didn't think that he had uh, you know, anything uh, you know, to, to, to be ashamed of. Why was he so anivistic? Where did that anivas come from? How do you stay humble if you are so close to God? Chazal tell us that he was just a little bit lower in terms of the chachma of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, whatever that means. HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't give him everything, but he gave him close to everything in terms of the amount of chachma that a human being can ever attain. Meshach Rabbeinu thought that he was really less than everybody else in the world. Do you know how? He would look at every single other Yid and he would see greatness in them and he was humbled. He says, Mela, I understand. I put on tefillin every morning because I was up in Shamayim. I saw the Kiseya Kavit. I spoke pal pat to the Rabbi Nishlaylam. I have Nevoah constantly. 
So I understand it's not such a big nisayin for me to wake up for davening, to put on tefillin, to learn, and to do the right thing. But an average yid who hasn't had that experience that I have, and they still wake up for davening, that's amazing. He looked at every yid like, wow, you're, you're amazing. And he genuinely felt humbled by every other person. He looked at every single person. It doesn't matter who he was. Whether it was a big Talmud Chacham or whether it was a, a simple person, a simple Yid. Whether it was a, a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a garbage collector. Every person, there was something that he found in every single person that was admirable. And it humbled him in a genuine way. These are the two parts of Meshach Rabbeinu that blended and melded into one. He had godless, and at the same time he had tremendous anivas. He was Meshach, but he was Taiv. And that's the model, and that's the profile of leadership that all Manhige Yisrael have always had. You take any Gadol, you read through any Gadol biography, and it speaks about their great accomplishments, of course. What they did during the war, what they did after the war, the Vadat Salah, how they saved lives, how they were great Rosh Hashivas, how they built Tyra in America and Eretz Israel. Whoever the Gadol is, you can name me any Gadol, and as much as his great accomplishments were, that's not why he's a Gadol. 70, 80, 90% of every biography that's written about a Gadol is not about his big accomplishments. It's about how good he was. It's not about how great he was. It's about how good he was. You speak about a Reb Chaim Eizer, who was the Manig of Yisrael. The Chavetz Chaim said that Reb Chaim Eizer was the Manig Yisrael. He was the Rav of Vilna, but he saved Klal Yisrael between the two world wars. He was the one that took responsibility for all the yeshivas in Europe. He invited them to come to Vilna and he raised millions of dollars in order to feed them. He gave them their own base medrash, their own svarim, their food, everything, because he was trying to shelter the future of Tyra. He was an, a gain be Israel. He was, uh, he wrote the Achiezer, tremendous, tremendous tshuva sefer. He was a gain, gain adir. In Tyra, he did great things for Klai Yisrael. He was the manig of Yisrael. But he himself said at the end of his life that his ticket to Elam Haba is not going to be all the great things that he accomplished. It's not going to be his svarim. And it's not going to be all that he did for the yeshivas. And it's not going to be all that he built. It's going to be the fact that he helped the assignment al-manis, the underdog, the misfortunate, those are, that's his enduring legacy. And that's what he did. He just cared about every individual. He was great, but he was good. And the fact that he was good is what makes him great. It goes hand in hand. We don't look at leaders just merely by their great accomplishments. But how were they as individuals? How did they care about somebody else? Or Meisha Feinstein, there's no greater Gain and Gadol in, the, in our, in American history than Meisha Feinstein.
What do we know about Ramesha? We know his Svarim, we know his Chubas. But when you think of Ramesha, what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes to your mind or that I think should come to your mind? It's the stories. It's the stories that we know about him, how after he would go to a yeshiva dinner, he would make it his business to go while everybody's filing out and giving him shalom, and he would go and he'd make a beeline to the kitchen and thank the chef and thank the waiters for making such delicious food and for serving it so nicely. Who does that? Do you and I do that? Ramesha Feinstein, the guy of America, does that. You know, his son, Reb David Feinstein, Zechitzadik Levracha, also a guy in his own right. And he was a guy in Adir, but he was simple. All the stories that you read about him, he would be the one, and it's an amazing thing. I mean, it's, it's so funny, but it's true. I have a, one of my closest friends is, uh, was learned by him for over 20 years, and he was masked him. And he always told me, like, he's so simple. He would fill up the soda machines in MTJ. Amazing. In his office, he had boxes of soda cans. And when the machine ran out, he would go and he would open up the machine and put... This is the, the Gadol Hadar, the Paisa Gadar, is filling up soda machines. It's a beautiful picture of him signing a, a yeshiva boy, like a young boy, maybe an 11, 12-year-old boy. He had a cast broke his arm, and you see a picture of David Feinstein signing his cast. Anivas is not a stira to godless. Some people think that, well, if you act so simple, then that takes away from, you know, my pomp and my glory. A yid doesn't look at leadership that way. A yid looks at leadership is that if you don't have anivas, then you're not a gadol. If you don't have taiv, then you're not a Maisha. Maisha Rabbeinu is not a brilliant leader and a masterful, uh, uh, you know, commander. Maisha Rabbeinu was, to his core, an anav. He was whole, he was wholesome, he was good, he was simple, he was pure, he was holy. And all of that made him the perfect shliach to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And this, of course, spread to Klal Yisrael. There's a medrash, a beautiful medrash, that once Rebbe was giving shear to his Talmidim, and the Talmidim were being misnamnim. They were dozing off. Something that I can't relate to. But Talmidim were dozing off in the middle of a shmuz, and he bikesh la'ayran. He wanted to be ma'ayr them. He wanted to wake them up. So he said the following riddle. He said, Yolda Isha Achas B'Mitzrayim Shishim Ribai B'Keras Achad One woman in Egypt gave birth to 600,000 people in, in, one, in one birth. So one of the Talmidim said, Rabbi, who? So he said, Yechevet because she gave birth to Meshur Abenu. And Maishra Rabbeinu was Shkula Kneged Shishim Ribai. With the birth of Maishra Rabbeinu, 600,000 people were born, as it were. What does this mean? 
What does this medrash mean? Well, when Moshe Rabbeinu was born, Vatera Isai Kitaivo, that name, Taiv, he was good. That goodness is what shone throughout the house. And that goodness is what seeped into every one of the Shishim Rebai. Because when you have a leader that's inherently good, and people look up to that leader and see the goodness that that leader possesses, it has to have an impact on everybody. There's a trickle-down effect from leader. Leaders are not just people that are in charge. Leaders are people that take charge and that inspire and that influence every single person in their malucha. That taiv that was Meshra Abeno made us a nation of taiv. We're a good nation because Meshra Abeno inspired us to goodness. If we have humility to us, it's because Meshra Abeno injected us from his own persona with that humility. If we have Chachma, if we have Das, if we have obedience to the Rabbi Nishlam, it's because Meshra Abeno gave us that. Meshra ki Baltaira Nisina Misara Yeshua, he gave it over to us. Whatever he was, he gave it over. Yolda. When Yecheved gave birth to Meshra Rabbeinu and raised him with that goodness that stayed with him his entire life, that was the birth of Klal Yisrael. Klal Yisrael became Klal Yisrael because the goodness of Meshra Rabbeinu at birth spread to each and every one of the Shishim Rebai. Let's contrast this now with what we learn in this very parsha about the arch rival of Meshra Abenu, the arch enemy, Lahabdal Elif Alfe Abdalis, Pare Melech Mitzrayim. Also, we find his initial evolution into leadership in the parsha, and let's examine that closely. Vayakam Melech al Mitzrayim. This is the first introduction to this king of Egypt. Of course, there's a machlekes, Rav and Shmuel, whether it means he was the original Paray or he was a new Paray. If he's not the new Paray, then if he is the, the, if he's the old Paray, why are we calling him Melachadosh? So Chazal says, he had a brand new uh, approach in terms of the Gezeris that he started decreeing upon Klal Yisrael. Asher loyadas Yosef, who didn't know Yosef. And Rashi says, Asa atzma He pretended not to know Yosef. How could anyone not know Yosef? Whether it was the original Paray, or whether it was a new Paray, but who could not know Yosef? Yosef was the man that saved the entire Mitzrayim. Surely everybody knows the history. If we know the history, I think Parah probably knows the history. He remembers the dreams. He remembers the way Yosef interpreted those dreams and then went into action and actually implemented a plan to hoard Tvua for seven years so that during the famine years, there would be plenty of food for not only Mitzrayim, but the entire world. What does that mean, Asher Yodas Yosef? He didn't know Yosef? He pretended not to know Yosef. He knew Yosef. Of course he knew Yosef. 
Everybody knew Yosef. But he made it, Ki'ilu, he didn't know Yosef. What does that tell us about his personality? It tells us that his leadership was flawed from the get-go. Because if a leader does not recognize goodness, Yosef was the, the greatest taiv that Mitzrayim had. And if they can't recognize that type, if you're a kafri type, if you have no akaras type to Yosef, that means that it's all about you. It's not about giving others credit. It's not about doing good for others. It's all about, what have you done for me lately? Is Yosef alive anymore? No. So what do I need him for? He is, he is useless to me. If he's not around and, I have, and he doesn't serve my political purposes, then I don't need to know him. I don't, I'm not beholden to anybody because I don't need anybody. I don't have, I'm not standing on anyone's shoulders. I'm not makir type. It's all about me. And you know, there's a fascinating medrash on this. The medrash says, he didn't know Yosef. How's that possible? A person, he, he, was, he stoned to death one of the king's close friends, advisors. The king says, okay, off with his head. Because tomorrow he's going to do the same to me. If he could do this to my advisor, I'm next in line. We have to do away with him. The same para that was able to one day say, I don't know Yosef, it's a slippery slope. If you don't know Yosef, you're not going to know the Rabbi Nishlam either. If you don't have the recognition of Taiv, then you can't understand HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You're not beholden to anybody. And that's exactly what happened with Paray. Paray started off Yosef, he only cared about himself. And then he said, Mi Hashem, who is Hashem? I don't know Hashem. I don't owe anybody anything. It's all about me. And this power that the leadership of Mitzrayim gave Paray went to his head and he started believing that it was all about me. Leave Afsi Aid. I am the R, I am the Nile, and I made it. He began believing in himself. He made himself into an Abedazara. We know that he didn't relieve himself in public, in a, in a public area. He went down to the yard to relieve himself because he wanted people to believe that he was an Abedazara. Abedazaras don't, don't need to relieve themselves, they're not, they're not physical. And he began believing in himself. And it became a narcissistic belief that it's all about me and that I don't care about anything else. Nothing matters except for me retaining power. The exact opposite of Meshra Rabbeinu. The exact opposite. You could not find two personalities that are more polar opposites than Meshra and Para. Meshra Rabbeinu was so anivastic. Meshra Rabbeinu, everything was the Rabbi Nishlelem. Everything was another Yid. Parai, Mi Hashem. 
It's about me. It's about me. And just like Moshe Rabbeinu's goodness spread to the Shishim Rebai, Parai's evil spread to his people. And he affected everybody. And that's why he was able, he was able to start and enslave Klal Yisrael and the people were okay with that. And then it went to infanticide to start killing babies. The people were okay with that. How did that happen? Because if the leadership is flawed, then it affects everybody. People get drawn into the personality and the cult. And that has terrible ramifications for society. As we've seen many, many times throughout history. And generally speaking, as in Mitzrayim, Klai Yisrael is generally the, the nation that becomes the most affected by such leaders. When a Rechonon Wasserman, Hashem Yenkam Damov, was invited to speak in the yeshiva of Berlin, there was a well-known yeshiva in Berlin, in Germany. It was called the Rabbiner Seminar of Berlin, the Rabbinical Seminary of Berlin, and it had great Rosh Hashivas, Rabbi Israel Hildesheimer, and Rabbi Ramelia Kaplan, and the Sri Day Eish, tremendous Ga'inim, tremendous Gedailim, that led this yeshiva. Rabbi Khan was in Germany for some reason, this was a few years before the war, before the Second World War, and they invited Rabbi Khanan to come and address the yeshiva, and he agreed. And he spoke to them, and they didn't like what he said. And I'll explain to you why. He said, a Malbim. And the Malbim is speaking about a, uh, a Pasuk in, in Sefer Bereshis with Avram Avinu and Melech Gerar. Avram Avinu went to the country of Gerar, and he was afraid that Avimelech, who was the Melech of Gerar, would want to kill him because he was married to Sarah. Because he wanted to be married, because Melech Gerar would have a taiva for the beautiful Sarah, so Avram Avinu was afraid to tell him that he, that he was her husband. So he didn't say the truth, he told him that, that she was his sister. And... Avimelech then sent for Sarah and he wanted to have a relationship with her. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu basically came to him and stopped him and told Avimelech that Sarah is really Avram Avinu's wife and you have to let her go, leave her alone. And that if he didn't, then he would die. So then Avimelech summoned Avram Avinu and he says, why did you lie to me? Why did you tell me that she was your sister? And I would have gotten killed over this. So Avram Avinu said, Rak ein yiras Hashem b'mokayim hazeh 
Varaguni al Devar Ishti. Rak Ain, there's only but no Yerushamayim in this land, and you're going to kill me, I was afraid, because of my wife. This is the sentence that Avram Abinu told Melech Gerar. So the Malbim, one of the great commentators on Chumash and on Tanakh, he was bothered by this word, Rak Ain. Who starts a sentence off with the word but? But only there's no Yerushalayim in this place. Just say, ain't Yerushalayim, plain and simple. There's no Yerushalayim and I'm afraid you're going to kill me. Rock in Yerushalayim, that word rock is very, very significant. Zot the Malbim. Gerar was a place that was not a backwater country. Gerar was a very advanced society. It was very civilized and it was very cultured. And you might be deceived into believing, oh, I'm living in a country that's so highly advanced. Music, math, science, poetry. If it's so advanced, so then I, it's a great place to live. I'm safe here. This is a great place. It's secure. It's comfortable. It's geschmack to live here. People are, these are not barbaric people. This is a nice, secure place to live. They surely developed their ethical character and raised their level of morality. Of course, if they're, if they're so into all of the other cultures and sciences and, and, and making such rapid advancements in medicine and in law and in everything, so for sure they're moral people. Avram Avinu says, you have everything in Gerar. You have the most advanced culture. It's true. You're highly civilized. There's only one thing that's missing. Rock! Ain Yeras Hashem There's just one thing that you're missing. You got all the pieces of the puzzle minus one. The one piece of the puzzle that's missing in Gerar is that there's no Yerushalayim There's no morality. There's no fear of God. And if there's no fear of God, then everything and anything is possible, even in the most advanced societies. Because if you have no Yerushalayim, you might have sophistication, you might have culture, but people that are even like that, if there's no Yerushalayim, can become savages, capable of committing reprehensible and abominable acts, and even murder. This is what Avram Avinu was telling Melech Gerar. I can't rely and feel secure in the place of Gerar. You're going to tell me why. We're so well behaved. We're so sophisticated. The world looks up to us for all of our culture and advancements and science. It's irrelevant because all of that can come and crumble in a minute. You could murder me for my wife. Murder? We're cultured. No, no, no. Without your Shemayim, culture is a big zero. It means nothing. People could become barbarians, even in the most cultured of societies, if we're not careful. If there's no Yerushalayim, if there's no real core morality, moral compass that guides a person, that guides a country, that guides a nation, anything could happen. All bets are off. 
says Rabbi Elchanan to the Talmidim in the Berlin Yeshiva, you have to be very careful living in Germany. And maybe you should even consider relocating the yeshiva. Because it's true that Germany is a place of great sophistication. And their etiquette and their external niceties are unparalleled in the world. It's true. And you have fine, upstanding citizens. They are so polite. They're so nice. They have such great manners. But if you don't have Yerushamayim, if there's an inherent lack of fear of God, if there's no core morality in the country, then anything is possible. And people can suddenly, in a godless society, become barbarians. That was the end of the Shmuz Rebbe Khan. And they took umbrage at the fact that he would come into Berlin and say this. How could you say this? We're happy here. Everything is good. We're learning. What are you saying? Well, we're living in a good society. These are good people. We've been living here a thousand years. Nothing can happen here. And of course, a few years later, Rebbe Khanan's words proved to be prophetic. The culture Germans transformed into savage beasts and murdered millions of innocent Jews. Their laws were revised to permit mass murder, and their morality, quote-unquote, was cast aside. Rebbe Hanan, whose entire being was molded by the tire, was able to see what everyone else was not able to see. And he concluded, as did Avram Avinu and Gerar, that any evil is possible when there is an absence of Yerushalayim. Rav Shimon Schwab, who was a person that was a spokesman for Klal Yisrael, for Taira Hashkafa, and he was sought after in the Aguda conventions, everybody clamored to hear his words. At the CMA Shas, he spoke majestically, Everything that he says, all of his svarim, all of his best-selling works, whether it's on Chumash or on Siddur or on, on Tanakh, or whether it's his selected writings or selected essays or selected speeches, his words are very niskabo in Klal Yisrael, and they get more and more year by year after his patira. Rav Schwab was asked, Years ago, there was a political, a presidential election between President George Bush Sr. and Bill Clinton. Now, Bush was just the president for three and a half years, and he was a good man. He was a good person. He was moral, he had a nice marriage, he had a good family. He was a, a person of, of, you could see, he was, a, he was a solid person, he was a war hero. He was a fine, upstanding person. But his policies with Eretz Yisrael were very strong-handed. 
He had people that were surrounding him in his, in his cabinet that were not Ayave Yisrael, and they were pushing the Israeli prime minister against the wall to, to, make, to make peace treaties with the Arabs around them that would not be for their benefit. And, and Jews in America were very sensitive to that. But he was a good person. And here comes Bill Clinton, who was promising to be very good to Eretz Yisrael, and he was a good friend of Israel also, he was. And that's one of the things that he was campaigning for, and he was going to, whatever Bush was doing against Israel, he was going to loosen up the reins on Israel and let them have a little bit more autonomy. But morally, Bill Clinton was not, a, was not an upstanding person, personally. And it was known, and all this came out already during the presidential election. And so it was a, it was a very clear thing, that it was a, a contest between somebody, a, a moral person, and an immoral person. But the moral person was not great for Eretz Yisrael, and the immoral person promised that he would be great for Eretz Yisrael. So this requires das taira. You, you need a shikola das. You need somebody to, to be mevar, the sugya. They went to Rav Shimon Schwab. And they said, who does the Rav say that we should vote for? And Rav Schwab answered something that's very surprising, but it's very, very informative. Rav Schwab said that Eretz Yisrael is not our domain. Eretz Yisrael is the domain of the Bari Eilam. Tamid is the manig. He's the mashkiach of Eretz Yisrael. He takes care of Eretz Yisrael. Don't worry about Eretz Yisrael. It's not our business to worry about Eretz Yisrael, to elect a president that promises to be good for Eretz Yisrael because Eretz Yisrael is l'malam and ateva. HaKadosh Baruch will put into the leader's head exactly what he wants to do with Eretz Yisrael. But it's not our responsibility to worry about Eretz Yisrael in America, politically. Obviously, if you can get somebody that's also Eretz Yisrael, that's, that's a cherry on top. But that's not the responsibility that we have as citizens of America. As citizens of a country, our primary responsibility is to worry about the moral fi- fabric of the country. How is the country going to fare morally under this leader? Because like we said before, leaders do have a very profound impact and it trickles down in every single way from the top to the bottom. We don't have to worry about Eretz Yisrael, he said, but we do have to worry about the Yerushalayim Bamakim Azeh. We have to worry that the climate of the country has Yerushalayim, has morality. And if a person is a flawed personality, that will affect the entire country. And so he advised people to vote for President Bush over President Clinton. The PS of the story is, of course, that Clinton won And he was a very good president. He really was. He accomplished a lot. The economy was booming during his time. There was very little war. And Eretz Yisrael, 
you know, mixed results with Eretz Yisrael, but morality-wise, the scandals that ensued under Clinton's presidency wasn't just a blight on his own personal legacy, on his own presidential history, but it was a blight on the entire country. Every news channel, every talk radio station, every newspaper was mole the schmutz about all of the dealings and all of the, the details of what he was doing, Bechadre Chadarim. And he was impeached for it, but for years this country was pulled down into a cesspool of immorality, of Ein Yerushamayim Bamakim Because leadership is very important. To elect moral leaders is the primary responsibility of people. And Befrat of Yidin. Which leads me to the discussion about the current president, and I don't, I really, I don't want to get political. I'm really trying not to. But what happened yesterday has to be addressed. I think I would be remiss if we just assumed that this is normal and not addressed it. A lot of people, a lot of Jews, are madly in love with the president. A couple of weeks ago or months ago during the campaign, you see Hasidim, like in pickup trucks with huge Trump flags blocking the George Washington Bridge. And they're crazy about Trump. What's so great about Trump? Well, he's very good for Eretz Yisrael. And it's true, he is. I don't think we ever had a president that's as good for Eretz Yisrael as he. Tremendous. Made Yerushalayim the capital officially, and, uh, you know, uh, he did a lot for Eretz Yisrael. He gave, uh, he gave them a green light to basically do anything and everything that they wanted. And he, he made peace with a lot of the Arab states. And it's tremendous. It is. And we have to have Akar Satay for that, no doubt. He pardoned people, Yidin, that were going to sit in jail for a very, very long time, and he was able to pardon them. But to the core, he may have been great, but he's not good. He is a flawed personality. And you see the narcissism from day one. It wasn't a secret. This isn't something that happened yesterday. This happened years ago, and I saw it right away. The Lashon Hara that he said to get to where he won, how he won the Republican, he put every single person down. He took somebody that was a chash of a governor and he called him uh, sleepy and he called this guy and, and just mamish pure Lashon Hara. And he divided the country. And personally, he was very, not a fine upstanding person, as we know. But yet we overlook things because, you know, he's good for Israel. 
Being good for Israel is a poor excuse for adoring a, a leader. Maybe Goyim, if you're a, you know, if, if that appeals to you as a guy, okay. Can't stop you from loving whoever you want to love. But for Klal Yisrael, that's not the paradigm of leadership that we need or that we, that we have to expect. We have to find leaders that are good, not just great, that will give morality to the country, that will give ethics to the country, that will be civil and have honor. And yesterday we saw what hatched from all of this sinna and gaiva and covid and a nivafsiaid. We thought it was cute that he was a balgaiva. We thought it was appealing. You know, he had a, a self-worth that was very uh, admirable. When you don't have a certain sense of honor and civility and, and a purpose, and when you're not really a, a servant of the people, but you look at the people as serving you, and you activate them to do destruction on the nation's capital, which is bizyanus, to all the nations of the world. They can't believe, and I, I was watching it yesterday, I couldn't believe my eyes seeing what happened to this nation from a flawed person and how that seeped down to so many people, 70 million people plus voted and, and believe honestly that there was tremendous wrongdoing without any evidence. But I have to win, I can't lose. It's not, it's all pure gaiva. When such a thing happens, then you have to be very scared because anything is possible. Anything is possible. I have a Talmud who comes to my weekly shir for alumni. He's not an alumni. We let non-alumni in also. He's my oldest Talmud. He's over 93 years old. He's very with it. He's a young 93, but he's 93. He grew up in Würzburg, which is actually the city that my great-grandfather and my great-great-grandfather were, was the Robin in Germany. And he's old enough to remember Kristallnacht. He was there. He was, he was a boy maybe six, seven years old, and he remembers the shul going up in flames. And he remembers the society that he lived in, and he always tells me, and I always like said, no, 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 he's getting it wrong. I was thinking, I didn't tell him to his face, but he said like America and Germany right before the war are very similar, very similar. We had a lot of power, just like we have power here. We had a democracy, just like we have democracy here. We were given a lot of liberties, freedom. We had shuls, we had yeshivas, everything was going well. And he, he always drew a parallel between life then and life now. And he told me so many times that what happened in Germany is possible to happen in America if we're not careful. And he sees already it happening. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, come on, it's ridiculous. We're living in the United States of America. This is the land of the free, the home of the brave. This is, we have a, a Congress, we have a Senate, and we have, we have, uh, we have so much we have a constitution, we have a bill of rights, and we have, 
the Declaration of Independence. This can never happen here, what happened there. And I'm hoping that it never does. And I'm hoping that he's wrong. But as I witnessed what I saw yesterday, I saw how wise he is. Because it's just a very, very small step between what happened yesterday and total anarchy. And it shouldn't surprise you that a great nation like we are and the strong democracy that we enjoy is very fragile. It's a lot more fragile than we want to even think that it is. All it takes is a leader that has himself in mind, and does not bow to the will of the people. One leader and his minions and his followers and his enablers and all bets are off. Have a mispala l'shloima shal malchus, says Perkei You have to daven for the peace of the government. She'el mo'ei mayra'a. If not for the fear of government, ishes re'eyu chayim b'lo'ai. A man will completely devour like a guppy his friend. You have to daven, and this morning and last night I davened. By by I was davening to Rabbi save this malchus. Because it's so easy. If you don't daven, if we don't have siyat dishmaya, if no, there's no Yerushalayim b'makem it's so easy for it to all crumble to go from a place of glory and, and honor and civility and a light to the world, a beacon of hope, which is what democracy in America has always been, and it's been a malchus al chesetas. When no other nations wanted to accept us, America did. Not just once, but many times. And when Yidden were running away from Europe, even the earliest periods of American history, and then throughout, when in Russia and in Poland, and in all types of Gullison that we had, and we needed a place to, to run to, America was there for us. And we've enjoyed unparalleled freedoms in this country. And look at what we enjoy. Look at the chinuch that we have, and look at the shuls, and look at the, at the kailim, and the svarim that we're able to publish, and the speeches that we're able to give. This is something unheard of in this Gullus. And we have to have tremendous Hakar Satayv, and Rav often speak about how you have to have tr- such appreciation for this Medina Shel Chesed, for this Malchus Shel Chesed. It's pure Chesed that we have here. We have to be misspelled for it because it could break down into complete and absolute anarchy and Chas V'Shalom worse if we don't be very careful. That's what I think the way that we have to look at what's going on in the world today. Hopefully this will have a, a smooth ending and within a few days we'll have a, a nice, easy transfer of power and hopefully the next president will be a good president. Again, this is not a political speech. I'm actually, you know, I'm, I think I would lean more conservative than Democrat. But... 
in terms of morality, in terms of who's not just a great leader, but who's a good leader, who's a good person, who's an upstanding, righteous, moral person. And again, I don't know, if you, maybe you're going to come over afterwards and tell me, you don't know this about it, you know, that, that might be. And you have to dive in then also. But one thing that we have to look for in a leader, and again, we, this is not Meshur Abenu, but this is what a Yid needs, and what a Yid really considers as a leader, is somebody that's not only great, but also good. That cares about morality, that cares about, about the fact that there's a God in the world, and that cares about Eretz Yisrael too, but that it's important that we understand that leadership is not just about what we get from him, but what is he giving to the country? It's not about me, it's about the country as a whole. Is he making the climate in the country moral and safe and secure and that we could feel like we have a home here and that, we, that we, we're, we're comfortable? Or is it riling up people to act against their, 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 with their worst with their worst angels, with their worst sides, with their worst demons. And we saw this summer also terrible. The Black Lives Matter movement was was more frightening than yesterday in certain ways. Seeing, on, uh, you know, seeing visions of, of people going through Manhattan and breaking store windows and looting and, and, and terrible. And that also has to be very, very uh, carefully monitored. Because that's another, on both sides we're surrounded by, by very, very great immorality and, and, and potential problems. And this isn't a political speech about who you should vote for and who you should side with. But as Rav Schwab said, our responsibility is look, looking for a moral leader, looking for a good leader, a fine leader, somebody that has good qualities, that will trickle down to the people and that will spread the messages of safety and security and civility and honor. We have to daven for this. We can't take it for granted. We have to thank HaKadosh Baruch on the past for giving us this Malchash al-Chesed and for allowing us to live here when people all over the world are so envious that we get to live here. It's tremendous. You see what's happening in Europe they're banning shechita. They're people that are always on the run. I used to go to a friend's house in Belgium. I went a few times. And they all have safes in their house. And in the safes they have diamonds and gold because they're always ready to pack their bags and, and run out in the, in, the, in the dark of night. They never know what's going to be tomorrow. I'm not talking about the 1930s. I'm talking about this is going back to the 19. 90s, I guess, but it's so, I'm sure it's so, it probably got worse over, over the years, not better. And, but America, America was always a place that, you know, people died to get to. And hopefully it will stay that beacon of hope. But we can't take it for granted. And we have to appreciate what we have and be mispalo al asid and that, that things stay this way. And that we continue to have the blessings of HaKadosh Baruch Hu showered upon us. And Mitzah Hashem, this will be, as Reb Chaim Velazhner once said, the letzte stancia of Golos, the last station of Golos before Mashiach comes is America. They saw that America 
was going to be that great place that Mashiach will come as after this Golis, after this final stop on the long 2,000-year train ride of, of this Golis. Hopefully, amidst Hashem, that will come true. B'meheru b'yameinu will be zeicha to Mashiach, to Keinu. B'meheru b'yameinu, amen b'amen.